This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. We were built for eternity. That is our ultimate goal. But before we can arrive at that place, we must first endure the hardships of this life. I must admit, I don't always understand why people suffer. Helping me along the way to understand why we suffer and have to endure the losses of loved ones along the way is my friend, Father Skip Thompson. Father has firsthand experience on enduring suffering and loss. He also has the wisdom to explain it and the courage to share it. Father Skip, welcome back. Dave's good to be here. Thank you. It is so good to have you. My good friend, Pat Gervais, is sitting in for Dave Imhoff, who's, who has the night off. Pat, welcome. Well, thank you, Dave. You know, it's good to be here. Father, good to meet you. Pat, nice to see you. Thank you for first time meeting you. Like, I like the beard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, the it's Santa po- thing. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. It's powerful. You know? I, I didn't know Santa wore glasses. <laughs> well, <laughs> You've never noticed most of the time he has the little round ones on? <laughs> Y'all, it's because it's not wintertime. So I'm riding my motorcycle. I've got to put the heavy-duty ones on. Go. I got you. I'm just, just messing with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you. Father, you came on last time and you gave political analysis, and, and, and I really appreciate that. But I think we would be really, really remiss if we didn't ask you to get into something deeper and more spiritual. I really want okay. to talk to you about where is God in our suffering and where is God in our losses? And you have personal experience in that. And if you don't mind, would you help those that are going through such losses with your wisdom? Sure. Um, okay. Uh, you know, t- to take on that topic, do you mind if I start with a little prayer? Oh, absolutely, Father. Yeah, I think I'd like to do that. Name the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know us through and through, inside and out. Uh, you have made us for yourself, and all things are known to you. Uh, even before they occur to us, we are trapped in time and space. It's our environment. You are eternal, all-seeing, all-knowing, all good. And sometimes things happen that doesn't seem so good, and uh, we wonder where you are. So we ask you to kind of cut through our fog uh, and keep our hearts riveted to your sacred heart, that we may endure all things. And as we suffer uh, in this life, uh, let it be with you so that we may also share in your glory. We ask your blessing on those who uh, may be tuning in, who may be listening. May this time be a blessing uh, to them. Uh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Let's maybe uh, recap that question one more time, Dave, if you don't mind. Not at uh, all, Father. Where is God in our suffering and in our loss? Well, God is right along with us. Uh, I think uh, in our suffering and our loss, we become so focused on our own um, immediate emergency, our demand, the demands for our attention, that uh, the pain that we're enduring, whatever it might be, uh, that we often miss his presence and uh it can it can uh it can knock us out of orbit so just giving you my own uh experience with that back uh goodness i was a young married man i was not married in the church outside the church but i was at least attempting to follow christ through protestant traditions and so on so was my young wife and all that uh it was uh, a good time i like to say that my wedding day was the finest and the most enjoyable day of my life. I still look back on it the same way, although now I add the uh, ordination to the priesthood. <laughs> I'm one of those priests who got the best of both worlds. I, you know, I, I hit two lottery tickets. Um, but the, unfortunately, the, uh, the the wife of my youth, the, she succumbed to a, a phenomenon known, known as postpartum psychosis. Um, and this is this was headline news back in the day. Uh, we lost uh, our son, Michael, in the course of uh, the events. And it was a, a completely surreal. I came home and he discovered everything and had no way to process what we would now call redemptive suffering uh, in the context of my little 
you know, family disaster. Um, for seven years, uh, we uh, hung in there, but uh, emotionally, I was just raw. And, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like uh, God had let me down. I didn't know uh, where he was. And especially when the, when the innocents suffer, um, that, that's, that's what's so seemingly um, that's, that's so di diabolical. Um, and it seems like, well, God can't, he, he must not exist uh, if the little innocent die or killed um and so in my in my case when you, you run into uh, evil up close and personal uh the atheist's best argument is the problem of evil you may have heard this from different theologians over the years uh, different apologists for the existence of god and, uh, and the, the thinking goes like this well if god is is all good and he's all-knowing uh, and uh, his will is done, then where is he when, when the innocent suffer? Because it seems like evil prevails in that, in that context. And indeed, it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult to, to explain uh, how God's will would be done in that it's hard to explain why God would allow such an injustice to occur if he's all knowing, all good and all powerful, he could do something about it. And obviously he didn't. And so where is he? Well, he must not be around. He, bad idea, God. So I, I, I remember being wounded in that regard. And, and for years I did what I had to do. And I made sure that my uh, former spouse was okay and that she was, you know, not, not, not going to do any jail time because uh, she was not guilty by reason of insanity. And um, she did have uh, a stint in um, inpatient treatment that was required. And we tried to hold it together. We had another child by accident. My uh, third child, Tommy, my oldest was Alice, and she was okay. She got through that. Uh, she's a tough, tough little girl. Um, she's now a mom. I'm now a granddad, too. <laughs> so Tom, when Tommy came, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. We don't got to go through back this again. I, I said, I thought, now, this was completely um, subliminal, but I psychologically just put up, I put up my safety net. Mm -hmm. And emotionally, just like, I'm not going to be invested in this at all. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to keep cool and make sure everybody's all right. And we arranged to have three different doctors deal with her pregnancy. And, um, but I, I just checked out. Uh, and for a couple more years, everything, you know, stayed there. Everything was fine. Meanwhile, I'm living a life without God. And I'm just, I'm a work, workaholic. And, um, you know, I just wanted to be married to anybody else but the wife I had. And for years and years, my, you know, my vows held me. But I was like, Why? And at the end of the day, I was just beating a dead horse. Um, everybody was okay. Tommy was healthy. Uh, the former spouse was okay. A daughter was all right, but I was just, I was damaged goods. I, I had a wound that wouldn't heal. Um, so so I, I just uh, thought, well, uh, I guess I'm on my own and I'm gonna do what I want because what God wants doesn't seem to matter. If I can, I can do that, but you know, the pain, the suffering occurs anyway. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like we had done anything uh, bad. We were, we'd been very good, faithful Christians, go to church three times a week, uh, Wednesday service, Saturday night service, Sunday, a uh, small group. We tithe 10% of our income to the church. And uh, this, this befell us. So I thought, well, I'll just move on. And uh, so I did. I, I ended up, ended up leaving, uh, leaving my spouse. I always took care of them, always provided everything they needed, and stayed involved with my kids' lives. But when people would ask me how many children do you have, I'd say I've got two. When in reality, I'd had three. And um, I'm, I'm, this is a long journey to answer the question, but I hope, hope you'll bear with me on this. So, you know, 
my two kids and I were, uh, I mean, I loved them for sure. They know that to this day, they're, they're, they're practicing Catholics, which makes any, any parent happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't going to happen, you know, had I stayed on that track and, um, uh, so I'm going, you know, late eighties, nineties here is this is where this story occurs. And then about 2001, 2002, uh, things started happening. My, my father, who was a great, a wonderful teacher, uh, a world war II combat vet, um, uh, and kind of become my mentor. I was the oldest son of four. Um, my dad died and then, um, I, uh, broke my arm and I was a fitness buff and uh, I was, you know, national finalist and all that stuff. And even as an old feller at, at 50, <laughs> um, I was still fairly cut as they would say. And uh, I've put on a lot of weight since then, but at any rate, uh, lost my strength, lost my mentor, lost my job, all my, 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 uh, source of income and everything, the lifestyle I had. So I was really on the rocks and I went, Lord, you know, you know, if you care, <laughs> I'd sure like a little, a little TLC for a change. And it was sort of like, I would call it the prodigal son moment, hot stove, learning, whatever you want to call it. And I came back and I said, you know, I, I, I started praying again, started going to a Baptist church. And then here's, here's the healing moment. As I made that move, uh, I had, and this this moved fairly quickly in 2002, so 20 years ago. I remember a I would I would pray and I would do something called lectio divina. It's a it's a form of study of the scriptures where you just meditate and you think. And I would uh, I would I would envision uh, various um, scenarios uh, when Jesus says, "I go to prepare a place for you." I thought, well, what would that be? Well, what kind of a, pre, a place has he prepared for me? Uh, let's let's dream about that. And that was kind of fun. You know, I'd conjure up these ideas of Hearst Castle or some villa in the Napa Valley with the, you know, uh, you know vineyards reaching off to the horizon and, uh, you know, fragrant smell of roses and, you know, wonderful sunsets. You know, I just conjured all these things up. Well, on this one particular time, I had actually had, had I think I'd taken a nap. And I had the most vivid uh, dream of my son, Michael, who I tried to forget all my life. Um, remember, I was answering my question, how many kids do you have? I'd say two instead of three. Well, in this dream, Michael became vividly aware, uh, vividly presented to me. And he was in a, he was wearing this white album and he had his arms out and, and he was like, dad, um, I'm okay. You're the one. <laughs> You're the one we're worried about up here. So um, I, you know, I woke up. So, wow. And I, I made a journal of that. And uh, I went out to the cemetery that, that day. And I visited his grave for the first time in like 17, 18 years. I, it took me a while to find it because I just never visited it. 45 minutes later, I find it, you know, crying and praying. But I was like... I lifted, and here's the key. This is how you, how you deal with the, the suffering and the junk, the wounds. I, I lifted my eyes. I lifted my horizon because I saw my son was alive in heaven, and I was still concerned with the earthly realm and everything around me. And this is where when a person's in pain, they're suffering, that's their natural, you know, this is, this is, this is what's got me. And, I'm, I'm kinda, and we're kind of stuck in it understandably yep. but the challenge we have to have is to raise our sights and so i for the first time i rose my sights to heaven and this god wanted me to do this and so i got this vision this dream if you will of my son living in heaven and it was awesome it was impactful and it was healing and cathartic and it changed me and i i left uh, finally, that gravesite. And here's the funny thing. You can't make this happen. Uh, and God in his mercy gives us these what I call milestones in our lives. And we all have our journey and we know what they are. And I had one that afternoon because the most unexpected thing happened next. I went off to a body shop 
to pick up my car that had been damaged and it was under repair. And uh, again, I'll remind you, my, my son's name was Michael, my last name, Thompson. And so I'm going into the shop and the manager says, hey, stop, just wait in the, wait in the uh, lobby here and I'll, in the office and I'll, I'll go, uh, I'll go, uh, go out, out back and see where we are with the car. Okay. So I sit there, I'm looking around and I notice all these Better Business Bureau Trade Association Awards all presented to the owner of the, you know, the ABC body shop. And they were a quality operation. And, and, and I looked a little more closely at each one of them and they are all carved and made out to Michael Thompson, my son's name, same name as this body shop owner. And I was surrounded, I mean, I was surrounded by my son's name everywhere. And I thought, my gosh, you know, I go to visit him in his final resting place in death. And just to make sure I got it, this healing moment, he comes to me in life to remind me I'm with you. And I journaled that one and I've gone back to that many times, but that was a milestone that told me, you know, you're, you haven't lost him. And from that moment on, and I'll, you know, God willing, I'll be doing some bereavement retreats when I'm right here at my retreat house where I live, especially to parents who've lost children. And as I've walked a mile in their moccasins, and what I'm going to say to them is that in the suffering, in the loss, you've got to, you, you've got to look at the eternal perspective on our life because we're, as, as C.S. Lewis says, you, you've never, never met a mere mortal. We are all eternal souls embodied uh, and at the end of the day, our bodies rise. And in fact, this was St. Thomas Aquinas who said that our resurrection is assured uh, because of Jesus's resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And he says, if not, then the devil will have won a partial victory over God. Mm-hmm. So we will rise. Read, read Ezekiel chapter 37. Those, those dry bones <laughs> are going to they're going to rise from the grave and we will too, because as we, as we receive the bread of life in the Holy Eucharist, that is a Holy, that's like eternal medicine. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he who eats my body and drinks my blood, I will raise up on the last day. That's not just symbolic figurative language. That is in fact a truth. And so I will see Michael. Uh, I saw him in my, in my dream. Uh, he underscored that fact in the only way he could, he could on that very same day, that, that, that crazy appointment at the body shop. Um, and I, you know, it was, I was, it was transformative, but that, that made the, the suffering and the loss it transformed because at the end of the day, God, God's got us. We cannot be destroyed. I mean, the temporal, you know, the temporal is, Temporary. <laughs> That's what it means. Mm-hmm. The, the physical, put it that way. The physical is is, is part of the, our temporal uh, being, but our eternal being, our our soul, which is the form that our body takes, the soul is eternal, and so it will be revitalized physically at the resurrection, because that when you're conceived, in soulment, as it's called theologically, our ontology is is we're a divinely created being. Um, we're not divine, but a divine being created us, i.e. God, to be made in his image. So that ensoulment is the plan, if you will, the DNA, if you want to call it that, physically, um, for our, 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 our person, our body. And at, that form does not go away at death. Our body corrupts. Uh, however, the soul is with God. And then at that last moment, uh, at the end of time, God will recreate us as we are. And I might add, I think it's will be recreated in the prime of our life, whatever that might have been. And so uh, we'll be fit and not fat. <laughs> we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, every tear will be wiped away. And we will see everything from an eternal perspective. And as some people have said it, if you and I've got a, a, a tapestry back here, I haven't put it up yet, from Italy. Uh, when I visited Italy with my mother and in Assisi, we bought a beautiful uh, small tapestry but it was woven and it's of the, the blessed mother and, and the Madonna and child and the baby Jesus beautiful on the front, 
when you flip it around backwards and you see all of the threads going every which way, it's like, what's this mess? How could that possibly be beautiful? That's often what we see in our in in the in the mud, the blood, and the beer, as Johnny Cash would say. Uh, it's just a mess. You're speaking our language, mine and Pat's language, there, Father. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> well, we are a beautiful tapestry woven of threads that uh, from the backside are it, it's. Uh, inconceivable that there'd be any beauty to it all. But when you turn it around and look at it from the eternal perspective, the things that we suffer are the things that will be jewels in our crown in heaven, as it were. Um, as, as Paul says, it's, uh, it's Colossians 1, 24. He says, in my suffering, I make up for what was lacking in Christ's suffering. Hmm. Wow. I mean, that's a deep dive if you want to spend some time with that one. Sure. Uh, I, re I recommend it um, because as being part of the body of Christ, as we say, Christ's body suffered and it was sufficient for our complete redemption. Um, but there's something for us to do because Paul also says that if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with him. And there's the link. Nothing is wasted in God's economy, not even our suffering. In fact, it's the suffering that is the greatest weight of glory that we can then look forward to. Now, that knowing that doesn't make it, it doesn't make it any easier when you go through it. But the one thing that it does do, if you can allow it to sink in, is to give hope and to realize that God is in control. At the end of the day, he he flips that tapestry around and goes, see, that's what all that mess created. Mm -hmm. You can see what I do. God, as they say, God writes straight with crooked lines and uh, God knows we're, we, we can get pretty crooked. <laughs> uh, whether we cause crookedness or we become crooked, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our wounds are self-inflicted. Pat can probably say an amen to that. Um, <laughs> I've got my own share of those where I just do stupid things, uh, hurt others, hurt myself. And, uh, but other times like the, the, the death of the innocent, uh, you, know, you, you can't blame anybody for that one. Uh, I don't, I didn't blame my, my wife. Uh, she was betrayed by a, a body chemistry uh, corrupted by the debris field of sin throughout the world. And we're all, you know, we all get, catch it, we get diseases or we have a gen congenital defects or whatever it is. A tsunami hits uh, somebody's coastline in Japan or, you know, a tornado tears up the town. I mean, these kinds of sense, what seem to be senseless disasters, at least for the believer, uh, at the end of the day, uh, are, are not wasted, believe it or not good can come from that and my, one of my go-to verses is romans 8 28 all things work together for good for those who love god and are called according to his purpose so that's our great hope because our our god is uh is, is amazing he loves us dearly and uh, we're built for him we're built for eternity uh this life is a blink of the eye mm -hmm. and uh joy may happen we we pray you know we pray for peace and we pray for prosperity and uh, we often get it, but, you know, we're, uh, you know, the United States is kind of a bubble in the world and we see the trouble around us and it's, a, it's, it's trouble caused from unbelief. Uh, and we're all tempted to that. We're all tempted to not believe. Uh, and when we fall into that, then nothing makes sense anymore. I think it was Cardinal Robert Serra who said, without God, nothing makes sense, but with God, everything makes sense. Hmm. And, uh, that's that's worth pondering uh, because it is true it is true you want to you want to you want to you want to destabilize a culture and turn it upside down and make evil good and good evil well then just get rid of god and that's what you're going to get and that's what we're seeing around around us quite a bit of that i, I was about to say isn't that uh, what we're looking at right now in the united states i do want to ask you one question did your did your grief process did it begin with with sadness or anger? And, and at any time did you ever oh. yell at God? Oh yeah, yeah. And a, a dear oldest Christian friend of mine said, you know, 
uh, God is big enough that you can beat on his chest. I will tell you of an incident where I did yell at God, and I'm not proud of it. Uh, when I think about it, I kind of cringe going, you're talking to God like that. But yeah, you know, we're relational and, and he's given us the gift of language and we express ourselves. We say words. This is how we reflect the image of God. We have a rational, we have a rational mind. We can ex express abstract thoughts. These are, these are, uh, these are godlike powers, which we absolutely take for granted. It's just, it's the air we breathe. And so we don't think anything of it, but it is amazing. Um, but I do, I, I had enough of my old evangelical Christianity in me to quote some scripture at God. And I was, I'd run my life pretty much into the ground. And I remember going way out in the country and parking on a country road and walking out into this field. And there was this rock outcropping. And I got up on top of standing there and I was, I was angry. Now this is some years later, Dave, I, it, in the midst of the loss, it was just, you know, just all hands on deck, just dealing with immediate realities. But after reflecting on it, having left my faith and knocked out of orbit and just living life for myself and having my own, you know, little pity party to justify all my sin uh, and, uh, and kind of uh, hitting a wall. I remember walking out and I mean, I just had it. I just had it. I was like, this is, it's this life's a mess. Um, it couldn't get much worse. And I, I said, Lord, you wrote, and I'm going to quote you if that Philippians 2.12, wherein you say, and I quote, that I am at work within you both to will and to do to your good pleasure. Well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything for your good pleasure. So if you're at work to, to will and to do those things in me, then you're not doing your job, get off your butt, be God and fix me. Wow. <laughs> I, I, you can't argue with yourself. That's your scripture. And God was like going, Hey, I've been waiting for this prayer for a long time. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> so he, I, I was open. I, I, you know, but I had to kind of, <laughs> had to crack myself open is what it was. Hmm. Uh, and we, you know, we have to, sometimes we have to um, bust our heads and realize, hey, I'm bleeding. And I, I need to, I need to address this by going to God and not medicating myself with some, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, drugs, or rock and roll. And uh, I was ready to, on God's terms, what do you, what do you need? How can we work together? Because I, I realize I'm a mess. And I also realize that you're at work within me, both the will and do to your good pleasure. And then I might add the next verse says, Philippians 2, 13 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> That's the next verse. And so from that point on, it's like, okay, we're, we're together now. Teamwork, you know, and look at what happened. You know, I, I came back to my faith. I, I found my way. I, I found my way. I was led back to the, the Catholic church. I had a uh, an appetite for ministry at a young age. It came roaring back. Mm -hmm. Started going to a Baptist seminary uh, online, 2003-2004. Uh, but by 2006, after many a retreat at a Catholic monastery, every six months I'd go for, for 03 to 06 uh, here on the Big Sur Coast, California, uh, a Benedictine monastery, a beautiful place. I gave my uh, confession to Father Isaiah. His name was Father Isaiah. He looked like one of those Cappadocian fathers, you know, bald head, you know, beard and everything. Yeah. And uh, I said, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. My last confession was 40 years ago. And uh, he listened to me for an hour. And I had, I had, a, uh, I had a sheet, <laughs> two columns <laughs> of sins. I went, it took, it took an hour to go through that. It was, I might add legal size, you know, eight and a half by 14. Sure. Yeah. And we got done with that. And he, he goes, now that was a good confession. <laughs> okay. Just absolve me, please. And uh, he did. And uh, he says, you, you are what we call a big fish. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> call me anything. You know, it's like, good to be home. That's funny. But, yeah, and we were friends to this day. And I'm going to get out there now that I'm in, uh, in Oxnard, California. 
uh, I'm not too far away. I'm going to be going up there for retreat again because, as you know, I've been out where you were in Connecticut for yeah. a long time. Yeah, we'll get to where you are where you're at, but I want to bring Pat Gervais in. Uh, well, it, it was funny. I was going to ask uh, Father about how he ended up becoming a priest. Sure. And uh, it, it was interesting as I'm thinking of it, you know, Father's going on and explaining how, you know, kind of his progression into it. So if you, if you want to fill in some holes, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, I think it's really great that you, you've been able to open yourself up to God's love and to us to show, to show God's love. Yeah. And how he can, uh, you know, take someone who's, you know, standing out there in the field, shaking their fist, going, come on, God, hit me with your best shot. And showing that, you know, it isn't the lightning bolt turning you into a pile of dust. It's the transformation. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we're, we're as, uh, as Pink Floyd would, would, would say in their lyrics, you know, we live comfortably numb here in the United States. Um, and we have little need of, you know, and that goes back to Revelation. One of the, one was it the Church of Ephesus. I don't know which one it was, but you know, the seven lampstands and the, he addresses each of the churches and he goes, uh, you're, you, you say you are in, uh, you are rich and in no need and uh, all things are good for you, but you know, I find you pitiable, blind and impoverished. And we, we are, we're, we're, we're wealthy in material things, but we're, we're lacking in our spiritual richness. Amen. So uh, we, we're numb to the spiritual. We're numb to these things. And we think we can make God in our image. And so we, we create all kinds of little idols, whether it's uh, idols of our own prosperity or our own autonomy or convenience or, or entertainments or whatever. And it, uh, they distract us. And that's all the devil wants to do, just distract us, just keep us away from God. And we'll, you know, we'll destroy ourselves. I mean, he's, he's the master strategist, right? So, um, but you know, but when you come to God on his terms and just surrender, it's one of the antiphons in the divine office. I, you know, the month follows, we, we recite the 150 Psalms, three Psalms a, a day, and we go through the whole Psalter monthly and one of those antiphons and i love it when i bump into it it says surrender to god and he'll do everything for you <laughs> like really <laughs> everything uh boy that's a big promise but i i find that uh of course everything we have is gift whether it's our health or our strength our job our income you know our family uh, friends they're all their gifts so he, he empowers us with so much and we're so ungrateful that it's it's sometimes it's it's a good thing when we get in <laughs> we get full of ourselves as it were and uh, you know bump our heads and, and wake up uh, getting woke in the right way not the wrong way so uh, Pat I'll, I'll answer your question with regard to the priesthood that came about in a most peculiar way so uh, again these milestones that come along are very remarkable I was going to a good Baptist church shortly after that crazy prayer. On, on in the open field there. And uh, I started studying online with uh, Bethel Baptist Seminary back in uh, uh, Arden Hills near St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'd go back there for intensives. Twice a year, I'd be in a community. And I'm like, oh man, I, I really like that. Uh, being with like-minded people wanting to follow God's will. And there was every kind of denomination represented by that little seminary student body. And meeting them all was, was, was invigorating. I liked that. So I determined that uh, I was studying what was called transformational leadership, which is a, a two-year degree. But having whetted my appetite in being amongst the other believers, I thought, you know, I might as well go for the degree in divinity. It's three years. So I shifted, and uh, there was a... Uh, a kind of a, a break in my um, progress. So I, I do, uh, I did three semesters and then I took a break for a fall in 2005, took my mother uh, to Italy. And uh, uh, that, that trip to uh, Venice and Assisi and Rome uh, completely 
completely put me in a Catholic orbit, even though I was still a Baptist. <clears throat> but um, I was going at the at the advice of our pastor at our Baptist church, who I might add was quite Catholic friendly, uh, recognizing as he did that the vast vast majority of of Christian doctrine and scholarship had come in the millennia and a half before Protestantism and Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and company. And so he used to say, yeah, go to, go to uh, these Catholic seminaries, a great place for silence and solitude. Lectio Divina, you can pray, you can uh, journal and uh, just kind of put it in neutral for a while and recharge the spiritual batteries. And so I used to do that. And so the, the church was, in a sense, at the monastery where I'd see the monks pray the office and, you know, come back. You know, you had morning prayer, midday prayer, mass, vespers, evening prayer. It was just remarkable. And I thought, man, these guys are sold out. They're following Christ like nobody else. And uh, they're Catholic, but that's seems to be okay. <laughs> you aren't going to hold that against them. <laughs> I wouldn't hold that up against them because they're lovely, lovely people. And But they had something else going on called the Eucharist. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I don't know if that's really the body and blood of Christ, but if it is, I want that. I think that divine contact would be just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> and so there's there, there's that wonder, that kind of, if you will, that infinite mystical thing that's going on in the uh, holy sacrifice of the mass. I mean, I get it now a lot better. I sensed it as a Protestant because I believed but as a Catholic, man, it was coming through like nobody's business uh, once I came back to the church. But so that transitional time took me through Italy, quite literally. And I remember taking my mom uh, through these magnificent churches and uh, in, in really the cradle of the, uh, I mean, you take, you take the Christian faith out of Jerusalem and then it moves with Peter uh, and the early church right to Rome, where all roads lead to and therefore lead from it was the perfect place in god's genius to to evangelize the world so he headquartered the church there the jewish temple was destroyed in 70 a.d it was it was a new time the new covenant of christ's you know his body and blood so anyway i'm in rome and i remember near the end of our trip i was praying for denominational discernment because at my protestant seminary we had Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists and Assemblies of God and Reformed and Congregationalists. And you had just all over the map. And I thought, where do I fit in this? And here I was, you know, drinking from a Catholic well. And in Rome, it was deep. I could see its origins there in like no other place. And I remember going to St. Paul's outside the walls which is a great basilica, uh, second largest after St. Peter's Basilica. And it was a, so it was off season, midweek, rainy day. And I was like the only tourist <laughs> there. And I sat in the back and on this, and I was praying, oh, Lord, where, you know, what am I, what am I going to do with this ministry that I seem to be called to? And it came to me like a bolt you're going to be a Roman Catholic priest. And I was, well, wait a minute. I'm going to Bethel Baptist Seminary. You're going to be a Roman Catholic priest. And, but I'll tell you what, I did not reject the thought. It actually warmed, it kind of warmed my heart. <laughs> I thought, man, that's off the chart. To, and as a Psalm says, welcome indeed is the heritage that falls to me. I thought if I were to be a Roman Catholic priest being part of all of this, and I'm looking at the high altar where Paul's bones, where he's buried. Paul, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. I mean, you know, to be part of this would just be unbelievable. But what was happening, God was wooing me. <laughs> I think it's in Jeremiah where it says, uh, uh, Lord, you seduced me and I allowed myself to be seduced. And it was, I mean, in a holy sense. And I was, I was under a spell. Uh, in a good, in the best sense of the word, it was a. There was this drawing of the heart, 
<clears throat> to the church. And so I journaled that. I journaled things. I journaled that. That was um, that's, uh, that's November of 2005, 2005, November. I think it was November 17th, if I recall. At any rate, I journaled that, that I was going to be a Roman Catholic priest. And I put it aside. And I did. Uh, I, I, I did stop going to the Baptist seminary. And um, my mom came down with cancer. And so I moved from where I was in Sacramento, California, and moved up to Oregon, took care of her till she died. There, uh, various priests in the old the old parish where my mom and dad were married, where I was baptized, uh, said, you're going to be a Catholic priest. You, you need to be a priest. And I'm like, no, 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 no. However, I still re I remembered that. I remembered that. And I went, okay, um, let's see where this goes. So I started discerning, and one thing led to another, and I finally was admitted to the, uh, the Society of the Missionaries of the Holy Apostles of the Roman Catholic Church. And I went to Holy Apostles College and Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut. And as I discerned back in 2008, everywhere I turned, they said, you're too old, you're too old, you're too old. Your life has been too unstable. <laughs> you're too old, you're too old. Uh, yeah, every now and then they give me a little, little you know, jab there. Like, oh. And uh, so I, I was told to contact the missionaries, the Holy Apostles out in Connecticut. Well, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to leave the West Coast. But finally, everybody on the West Coast said no. So it was like God's like, you know, blocking all my little places I wanted to go and say, there's this one. And here's the, here's the wild connection. This is what opened it up. I mentioned I used to go to a, to a monastery in, on the coast here. It was called New Camaldoli, named after the, uh, the, the old town of Camaldoli, Italy, which St. Romuald founded in the 10th century uh, as a uh, Cenobitic hermitage. It's, it's basically like a little community, a little individual cells, like little, think of cottage with a little yard. And every monk had uh, their own plot that they're supposed to take care of. And they would they pray in community and have mass in community. It was a really a nice setup. So I went to this new Camaldoli, which is out here in California, and enjoyed the heck out of that. And on and this, this is how it connected. So 2004, I'm there on a retreat, and one of the brothers dies. And the prior asks me, because I'm a you know, big guy, and he'd say, hey, could you help us move the body? from the deathbed to the casket. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's what every retreat wants to do. <laughs> um, okay, so I helped out, it was a little, little macabre, but uh, I moved his body, his, his name was Brother uh, brother Anthony Barabee. And that was 2004, and I went to his funeral mass. I, could, I in his program, I noted his last words, which the prior related to everybody in the congregation there, which was this, this is his prayer. Lord, may my only reward be thy mercy. Oh, wow. And I said, that dog will hunt. <laughs> That's, you know, here's a guy living a whole consecrated life to God, everything, you know, merits up the wazoo. My only reward be thy mercy. And I remember running that by some Protestant theologians and I'm like, yeah, amen. I can get behind that, <laughs> okay. So I, I scribbled that down in my book, and um, little did I know, after I was going to the Baptist seminary and finally came back to the church and finally started looking at the priesthood, that that experience was going to be the key to unlock a door. So I called up from Oregon, where I was, to the missionaries, and I got the vocation director, Father Brad Pierce of Happy Memory. And I said, Father Brad, my name is uh, Skip Thompson, and I'm 55, and I'm thinking about the priesthood. And he goes, oh, good. I said, 55, is that too old? He goes, no, no, you're, you're right on the edge, but that's that's okay with us. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, so we can talk. He goes, yeah. I said, I'm going to get on a plane and come out and talk to you. So I flew out there. And he said, hey, well, tell me your journey. So I ran this all down to him. And including my, you know, my retreats at the Catholic monasteries as a Baptist. And he goes, oh, yeah, New Camaldoli out there on the West Coast. You know, 
we lost track. One of our brothers went out there. Our founder wanted to get something going in California. We lost track of him over the years. Did you run into Brother Anthony Baraby? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> How's he doing? Oh, he's resting well. <laughs> he's resting uh, in peace. <laughs> he's resting in peace. I said that he died while I was on retreat. I helped move his body, and I uh, and I was at his funeral. And here's his here's his funeral program, and here's his last words. And brother, father Brad looked at me. And he goes, "Holy mackerel! You can't make that up." He goes, "This is providential." He goes, "You belong with us." And there it was. That was the whole sum total of discernment. Uh, and so the MSA opened their opened their their arms to me, and I I joined them. Uh, and you know, here I am, uh, a Roman Catholic priest. And you know that that journal entry from two thousand five. When I was in St. Paul's Outside the Walls, that journal entry was on the back of my ordination program in 2015, 10 years later. Wow. That's it just, it just shows you how God leads you. And those are those mileposts. And, you know, literally a man died in order to open my vocation. Uh, everything was in God's timing. That's that tapestry. Mm -hmm. he, I mean, a lot of people were sad about the death of Brother Barabee. Um, I was too. It was not a pleasant thing at all. But in that loss, something completely unforeseen was in the making. And I was the beneficiary of that four years later, uh, connecting the dots. And that's what opened the priesthood to me. That's why there's another priest in the church today. Father, yeah. you, you talk about journaling, and that's something that I'm starting to really get into yeah. What are some of the things that you share with yourself in, in your journal? Okay. You're not limited, obviously, uh, except by time and choice. Mm -hmm. uh, but oftentimes my journal will be, some might call it a diary. I, I don't call it a diary, but I'll, there, there's certain lessons that come to me in the course of just life. And I'll, I'll make note of those. Like my you know, experience at St. Paul's Outside the Walls. Remarkable thing. Um, I might add, when I had that, <laughs> I mentioned it was a rainy day, didn't I? Mm -hmm. As this revelation kind of came to me, it was like on cue outside the clouds parted and this beam of light, this sunlight just flooded the interior through the clear story windows, lit up the entire interior of the church, completely changed the color of the whole thing. The whole spatial expanse of it was lit up and I was like, you know, lights on, you know, are you getting this point? You're going to be a priest? I'm like, boom. You know, so I journaled all that. Um, and I reflected that, in, you know, uh, on that uh, a lot. Um, so that, that was an insight. Sometimes I'll journal prayers, things that I, I promised people I'd pray for. And so I, I'll, I'll write those down. And years later, I might come back to that and say, oh yeah, God answered that prayer. These things build the faith. Uh, sometimes they're insights. Sometimes it's poetry. Uh, I had one kind of sleepless night where I was um, distraught. Um, I had a lot of those lately, thinking about the events in the church and the world. Um, but my I, I was writing, it was about 3.34 in the morning. I found that my journal entry began to rhyme. And for a page and a half, I just continued in 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 ionic pentameter to write poetry and that was one of the most beautiful poems i it was completely holy spirit inspired i don't write poetry but i did with my journal mm -hmm. on that particular time. i think the holy spirit just woke me up so you got to get this out but uh, you know one of the nice things too about journaling is you you can look at your you can look at your journey um you can see how god has moved i mean my 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 recollection my my dream of michael was a huge journaling event uh and i can tell you that you know i can look it up but i can tell you the date and, and year and all that uh and those are what, like what i call those are milestones it's like spiritual instant replay you can watch the watch the touchdown all over again yeah and then you score and you win <laughs> <laughs> your faith wins but journaling is a tool it, it's a tool uh and uh i i really i recommend it to people if you know, you know, it's not a have to do, but it sure, it can be a great help. 
tell us a little bit about yes. the retreat center that you. I'll, I'll give you a shame a shameless plug here. <clears throat> so I came out here in 2020. Uh, was sent out here just to get something going, just as everything shut down, mm-hmm. which was great timing. Uh, so I bounced around and uh, did retreats and parish missions and conferences and so on here and there. Uh, but um, I bumped into the um, deacon for Bishop Robert Barron uh, here in the Santa Barbara Pastoral Region where I'm located. And uh, as you know, Bishop Barron is being moved up to uh, a full ordinary in a little area called Winona, Rochester in, in, in uh, Minnesota. So he's still here. He leaves next month. But we worked out a contract together because this, uh, the Santa Clara Parish in Oxnard is the oldest parish in this area next to the Ventura, the Mission, San Juan, San Buenaventura, San Buenaventura, and the city's name is Ventura. Mm-hmm. But this place was built in the 19th century. It's a beautiful old church. It's a two-block campus. There's an elementary school. On the back side is an old converted convent where I live. I, so I now I've been I've gone from a single uh, bedroom that I rented up the road in, in, in town about a hundred miles away. Now I now I have a twenty four bedroom house and uh, a massive kitchen dining room library, uh, beautiful chapel, and so uh, we are just now on we we just signed the contract with Bishop Barron, and uh, we are the retreat house at the Santa Clara Parish in Oxnard, and we're just getting our retreats off the ground uh, presently. I'm still uh, getting settled. I've got, I don't know if you can see them. I got all kinds of here. See all my boxes. Oh, look at that. As long as, <laughs> Father, as long as I've known you, you've been living in boxes. What's that? I says, as long as I've known you, you have been living in boxes. I know. Yeah, it's true. In 2020, I I get it about, I don't know, about one third of my boxes empty that I could use. And then the rest was in a garage. Mm-hmm. And as of last week, I got all the boxes out of my garage. Now they're right here. But I've got a lot of them up. A lot of my bookshelves are up. And I've got a new, new, new bookcase over here. I'm gonna fill I'm gonna fill that up next. <laughs> so that's good news. Anyway, didn't settle down and I'm loving it here and I'm making good friends. And uh, I, I fill in at the parish occasionally. Um, but I am not a parish, I'm not an associate pastor. I am a, um, I'm a retreat director and, uh, this is the love of my life. I've, retreats are what saved me because mm-hmm. they're deliberate timeouts where you be with God, you journal, you pray, you read the scriptures and you draw close to the Lord and he draws close to you, James 4, 8. Um, so that's what this is all about is to get some people doing some deep diving <laughs> and there may be a few priests come out of all this. So uh, let's, let's hope so. We're always praying for new, new vocations. Hey, Pat, yeah. you, you got anything you want to say? Very early in your talking, you talked about the uh, tapestry that you picked up. Oh yeah. And the fact that on one side, it was this beautiful picture on the other side. It just looked like a hodgepodge of threads. Right. And as you were talking, what came to mind you know, through the whole conversation is that the weaver never knows what the pattern, you know, what, what image they're, uh, they're creating. They, they just see the individual, you know, weaving that they're doing, you know, right. I'm trying to think of the terms, the warp and the, the warp and the woof, the warp, the warp and the woof. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that That's all they see is that going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, I, as I was listening to your story, I could just see, you know, kind of this, all this stuff just kind of building up. So when you got to this point, you turned it around and you've got this beautiful picture of where you are now. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I thank God. He's and, and it was a great, it was, I thought it was a great analogy between, uh, you know, what you mentioned at the beginning, your, your journey to where you are now. And I just saw it tying right back to where you yeah. start. Yeah, as I say, I quote the Psalms, welcome indeed is the heritage that falls to me. I never thought I was going to be a Roman Catholic priest. And I, I do a, a, a private mass in the morning. Expose, I expose the Eucharist. It's a simple exposition. I do my morning prayers, office of readings and lauds uh, with the Lord present with a little single candle. And uh, it precedes the mass. And uh, it, I just have to, I have to pinch myself and just go, hey, this is... I've been given the, uh, the authority to confect the Eucharist, which brings Christ down 
from heaven into and under this the appearances of bread and wines and as as i reflected at the as I, and i said this aloud at the beginning of mass i said lord your humility knows no bounds to be available to us under the appearance of bread and wine that we may consume him and touch divinity it's it's remarkable and uh, he's allowed me to do that is you know i i do not deserve such a thing i do not um but it it adds it just uh makes the uh, the mass uh, so much more meaningful and reverent for me i i i I, when I do a mass, and I hope you guys can come out west. Um, uh, I, I mean that sincerely. We can we can put you here, um, but I slow it down. I really slow it down. The liturgy of the Eucharist, and I always give the people um, if they know it, we'll do the the, the Latin commons. You know, the Agnus Dei, the Sanctus, the Mysterium Fidei, uh, the Kyrie is of Greek, of course. Uh, but I like to connect the the history and tradition of the church with the mass now mm. and let people just really camp on the words, you know, behold the lamb of God. When you elevate the host, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Mm. Think about that. Think about what we have here. And uh, invariably people want to kind of rush right through it. Lord, I'm not worthy to receive it. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, time out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Blessed are, you know, are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Now you can do it, right? But the, um, the idea is to just reflect truly. I mean, this is, uh, I saw some masses recently where they were just doing the, what, the cool and the gang celebrate good times kind of stuff. It's like, no, calm, calm down. You're missing it. Uh, you know, you're missing the, 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 the sublime uh, depth of this sacrament because you're just you know jacked up all happy happy and you know we need to return to the awe and the wonder i think of the mass so anyway that's what we that's what i that's what i that's what i give people here and uh I, i've had a lot of really positive feedback on that and so yeah the last retreat we did just so you know this uh, every third weekend of may i've got the old original mission san antonio de padua uh, that was founded by St. Unipro Serra. And it's the only mission you can stay overnight in. Hmm. You can actually stay in the cloister and they've got 30 rooms. And uh, uh, I had uh, 29 people stay with me over the third weekend of May. And that mission was ours day and night. And once they close the, the gate at four o'clock, it's yours till 10 o'clock in the next morning. And it's just a, it's 23 miles from the nearest town and it is pure silence out there. The only thing, the, the thing that you find most unnerving is the noisy rabbits <laughs> uh, and the, the dove yeah. with their little, their little cooing noise yep. just, just completely dominates the silence. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't get any much better than that place. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I, we just, I got the evaluations and reviews from the people and it's like, well, uh, a 4.9 out of five was the overall score. The one tenth of a percent was because one person wanted their own private uh, shower and toilet in their room. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's not, it's not, a, it's not a motel six. Uh, but we do leave the light on for you. Um, <laughs> Father, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to do a retreat there, how can they do that? Just send me a note at fatherskip at gmail.com. Fatherskip at gmail.com. Make sure we put that fatherskip. in the show notes. Spell, spell it out, lowercase, all lowercase, fatherskip at gmail.com. Is it? Yeah, I, and I already get too many emails. I, mean, I know I'm inviting um, <laughs> Be patient with me because I I get overwhelmed from time to time. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advertise that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll definitely help you out with that. Uh, I'd love to see it grow for you. We filled it up, so we are uh, certainly running out of time here now, Father. Uh, would you mind giving us a blessing? Oh, of course, of course, of course. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Lord, I thank you for your servants, Dave and Pat, and the chance to be with them on this little broadcast, this podcast. We ask, uh, I ask a blessing on, on Dave's ministry and giving us uh, opportunity to share the faith with the, those who tune in. Uh, we play, pray your special uh, blessing upon each of our, our listeners and uh, for each here, our uh, participants, um, for each of one of our, our ministries. Each, each day we're called to a, a ministry of holiness and service, and we ask you to give us a double portion of your spirit that we uh, that we may uh, be good and faithful servants and hear those words uh, at the judgment day at the end of our time on earth and may we do thy will here on earth as it is in heaven we ask these things through christ our lord uh, may the lord be with you and keep you and bless you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen thank you father thank you father you're very welcome. Very nice. Enjoyed this very much. So for my guest, Father Skip Thompson, for my producer, David Imhoff, for my special guest uh, co-host this evening, Pat Gervais, the Catholic biker. Don't forget to check him out on, on Facebook Live where you can pray the rosary. I'm down the hall, Dave, always praying that your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. We'll see you next time.